peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. The peace of Christ is with you. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God our creator and our Lord Jesus Christ. With the good shepherd as our guide, we shall want for nothing. Even in the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow all the days of our lives. Come, let us worship our Lord. Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John chapter 9 verses 1 through 12. A man born blind receives sight. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The sermon text comes to us from the Old Testament today. Exodus chapter 17, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7. It's where Israel, these newly released people, test God in the wilderness. And it's a struggle for Moses. Hear these words. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled 
with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, and I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so, and in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We all complain. Goodness knows there is enough to complain about taxes, especially in New Jersey, too much work or then unemployment, health problems, and so much more. But for the most part, our complaints are not always existential. I mean, all of us here have a roof over our heads, we have running water, we have food in our stomachs. We are certainly not like the poor people of Japan who have been hit by three disasters, a tsunami, an earthquake, and nuclear reactor. Of course, not in that order, but still, for us, life is complicated and sometimes requires more from us than we would like to give or think that we can give. My tax accountant, who of course I saw recently, this being tax season, he's a bit of a philosopher. And knowing that my husband and I are pastors, he always asks us about certain attitudes that he observes in his clients while he's reviewing our paperwork, of course. And at the last meeting, he asked this, how do you think people are doing nowadays? Do you think they they seem more stressed out than they have been in years before? And so we compare our observations. We agreed with him. People do seem to be working longer hours while still facing the threat of cutbacks. And the long, cold winter has contributed to dampen people's spirits. It's like people don't want to come out. They're hiding away from the world. It's all too much for them. Now take that feeling that I'm describing for us 
and transfer it, if you would, to the Israelites and Moses as they were, he was leading them through the wilderness. I think that this would give us an apt description or sense of the anxiety and the depression that the Israelites were feeling. These weary wanderers were struggling. Their situation in Egypt was certainly miserable, but their way through a hot, arid wilderness without shelter or a regular potable water source was quite disconcerting. The future seemed much worse and bleaker than the past experience. Now that is something to complain about. We could simply be flip about their circumstance by saying change is difficult and that's why their complaining was inappropriate. After all, shouldn't they be satisfied with just a few hardships, especially since God had just delivered them from slavery? However, that type of a response doesn't really grasp the psychology of the situation. There is a deeper line issue there. Gratitude in the face of hardship is a rare trait. I experienced some of this psychology in the eastern in eastern Germany after the wall fell. Now some of you know me and and know that I spent many years over in eastern Germany after the wall fell and that was the area that had been under Soviet occupation. And in 1989 eastern Germany needed pastors and they called me and my husband we were living in western germany at the time there were not many people who wanted to serve as pastors in eastern germany what i experienced amongst the people were that between the ages of 35 and 55 they were unable to make the transition from a soviet culture into uh, into the democracy and uh, and Western culture, the free market economy. Their lives in that age group had been so influenced by the limitations of choice and inflexibility in the previous system that they decided to take either early retirement or became unemployed because they could not cope. That's why their unemployment rate rose to 30% after the wall fell. It's quite amazing. Of course, their complaining increased as the number of unemployment went up. We can't do this, was the common phrase that I heard. Just like the Israelites with Moses, many people of the former East Germany were of the opinion that things weren't as bad under the old communist regime as it was now under the new democratic system. And I often heard people saying these words, at least when we were under the communists, we knew how things would go. Now we don't know anything. Yes, everything was predictable under the communist regime, 
But let's not forget, it was also oppressed, too. If there is one thing to notice about this episode between Moses and the people, it's how the people always turned to Moses to complain. Moses was the answer man. I think that's how, where he gets into trouble and also how he gets so frustrated. He is caught between the people on one side and God on the other side. There just isn't the personal relationship yet, as of yet between God and the rest of the people. Moses is caught in between. And if you notice in the text, the people complain to Moses rather than complaining to God. Thus, the people hold Moses responsible as if he's doing it all by himself. And as he remarks to God, they're almost ready to stone me. They point constantly at Moses. It was extremely difficult for them to accept their role in this endeavor, the people's role. And if you can imagine, they were like lost sheep, just following along behind Moses. And as I experienced such behavior in eastern Germany after the wall fell, people were so used to having the party, the Communist Party, or better stated, their oppressors make the decisions it was difficult to suddenly take that responsibility on themselves. Thus, like Moses, we, they always pointed to one person as, the, as making the decisions. They didn't accept that they were now responsible for themselves. God assures Moses that he is not alone. And God provides that support and guidance, and even assures Moses that God would be with him, even when he's just striking that rock to find water, so that he would hit the right place. I will be with you, God says. I will be with you. But God also does another thing. He instructs Moses to, and this is quite interesting, he instructs Moses to take the elders with him. And I think that this is important because God understands the psychology of the people. God directs Moses to have the elders with him, to appear with him, because it shows that he's not doing things all by himself. Obviously, God wants the elders to provide Moses the support so that the people see he's not acting alone. It is more than one man leading the people. The elders' presence at this event around Moses gives credence not only to their leadership, but also to the entire endeavor at hand. In other words, it demonstrates not only that there is a future, but that it is supported by many. This text demonstrates to us that it is extremely critical in ministry to share the joy and burden of leadership. First of all, we need to recognize that God is with us, guiding us, showing us the way. Hopefully, we are listening to that guidance and sharing our burdens with God. Complaining is allowed, too. However, and this is just as important, we need to support the endeavors of those 
who have taken on the responsibility of leadership of the flock. It is an awesome responsibility, full of challenges, especially when we attempt to do new things. But if the flock does not support or complains greatly or is constantly challenging the leadership without taking on responsibility of their own, then this holds up the entire group. Just as we saw with the wandering Israelites, it held them up for 40 years, wandering. As the class's executive minister, I have the wonderful opportunity in my job to visit all of our 28 churches in the classes. And if there's one thing that I can say to any congregation, it is support your congregational leaders, your elders, your deacons, your pastor. They have taken on a heavy task. Encourage your leaders with good words. Encourage them with your prayers and even your talents. And let me just say, those churches that I have experienced growth in is where the flock is excited supportive, moreover, celebrating the things that their leaders are doing. It gives them momentum to move forward. And may we do all of this, remembering that the power which is guiding us at every step comes from our creator, our God, who was with us even through the dry and arid wilderness. Please pray with me. O gracious God, help us to see your hand at work in all that we do. Help us to support our leaders. Help us to talk directly to you, to know that you are present in all that we do. This we ask through your son's name. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we give this morning of our time and talents 
and offerings, let us remember that we have an opportunity to reach out far beyond ourselves and to touch the lives of people that we have never even met.